Chapter 8 When Tecla Carried the Basket 1. Just as there are wheels within wheels, so sometimes are there clubs within clubs. It was so in girlish Gardenville. This inner circle, a very exclusive affair indeed, contained just six girls, carefully chosen from the older members of the Sweet Sixteen. These favored young persons, for no reason that anybody could discover, dubbed their club the Singular Six. Besides meeting weekly to improve its mind with readings from the poets, it was the habit of this club to give picnics. These picnics were the envy of all the left-out members of the Sweet Sixteen, who could forgo the poets much more cheerfully than they could forgive the picnickers. "'They're too snippy for words with their old picnics,' grumbled Caroline Flanders. "'Of course,' said the Stone Girls resignedly, "'there are too many of us to be long, "'but I don't think it would do any harm "'to invite one of us occasionally.' "'I know I'm young,' admitted Elizabeth Dillman, "'but it's only six months since Mabel Mercer "'was just as young as I am now.' "'As for me,' said Pauline Winthrop, "'I wouldn't go to one of their old meetings "'if I were invited.' "'Oh, well,' said Marjorie Danvers, we might have strength of mind enough to stay away from the meetings, but I'd hate to see any of us tempted with a bid to one of their perfectly lovely picnics. I'd like to be tempted, confessed Caroline. Every time I imagine there's going to be anything like a picnic, I just leave myself around in the way of temptation in hopes that it'll occur to Mabel Mercer to tempt me. And I, said Elizabeth, give Alma perfectly heartbreaking hints every time she passes our house with a parcel that looks as if it might contain lemons. But the girl's as impervious to hints as—as— My freckles are to soap and water, completed Adelaide Stone. The entire club remained impervious. In spite of hints, innuendos, and actual protests, the singular six refused to enlarge its magic circle. A day came, however, when the exclusive six gave a picnic that furnished the neglected ten with almost as much amusement as if they had not remained enviously at home. It was methodical Catherine's turn to superintend the most ambitious outing the singular six had yet attempted, and never was trip more carefully planned. It was always a matter of pride with Catherine to have her enterprises, big or little, go smoothly, and to do the girl justice, they usually did go with a smoothness that was little short of remarkable. According to the list in Catherine's pocket, Rhea Margrave was to take coffee, sugar, and cream, Alma Boyce was to make a salad, Tecla Bliss was to supply bread and butter, Mabel Mercer, whose uncle kept poultry, was to take fried chicken, Virginia was to provide two of her mother's very best apple pies, and Catherine herself, who was always well supplied with pocket money, was to order and to pay for the naphtha launch. Catherine's cousin Emily, a rather meek, dreamy maiden lady, of perhaps forty-five, was to chaperone the party, because all the mothers insisted that the six should be chaperoned. Obviously, six mothers were too many to take, so, since there was only one elderly cousin, she, in spite of the fact that she disliked picnics, was the person selected, the victim, she said. In spite of the name that was adopted for their little club, there was nothing so very singular about the girls collectively. One of them, however, possessed one remarkable trait. This girl was Tecla Bliss, and Tecla was irresponsible to the very last degree. She was not to be depended on for anything, which was unfortunate, because, 
however delightful a girl may be in other respects, there are sure to be times when it is uncomfortable to find that one has been depending on a broken reed. Pretty, careless Tecla came very close sometimes to proving a broken reed, and this tale is about one of those times. She was a lovable small person, in spite of the fact that responsibilities of all sorts sat lightly on her girlish shoulders, and the girls liked her, even if, owing to her way of sliding her share in all their enterprises, she sometimes plunged the two confiding singular six into unexpected difficulties. It was this distinguishing trait of hers that came so near making shipwreck, although the disaster occurred on dry land, of Catherine's carefully planned outing. Bright and early Saturday morning, the cake, the salad, the chicken, and all the other good things were carried to the Denhams to be packed by careful Catherine into one big basket. Even the bread and butter arrived in time, because Alma Boyce took the precaution of spending the night with Tecla, in order to get that young person up in time to make the promised sandwiches. The girls were to spend a long, delightful day at what was called Denham's Camp. Years previously, Mr. Denham had owned a thriving lumber camp, not far from the lake shore, but some twelve miles from town. After lumbering operations had ceased in that locality, the cabins had fallen into decay. Everything portable had disappeared, and inside the roofless, deserted cabins, tall grass and sturdy young trees were making themselves very much at home. Afterwards, from the best of the abandoned logs, Catherine's brother Ned, Tom Flanders, and another boy had built a hunting lodge, a rough, clumsily shaped affair. But inside, the little cabin was clean and cozy. Catherine and her friends could plan no more delightful excursion than a day at this place during berry season. There, said Captain Catherine, giving the basket a final pat, I think we're all ready. You take that pail with the ice in it, Rhea. You, Mabel, take the roll of mosquito netting. I promised the boys I'd recover their screens for them. You carry this tea kettle, Virginia. The old one leaks. I'll carry this bundle of lamp chimneys and these empty berry pails. And, Tecla, you and Alma are to take care of that lunch basket. If you two young scatterbrains lose it or get sand or water into it, there'll certainly be trouble. Lose the lunch basket, exclaimed Tecla. I guess that's about the last thing I'd be likely to lose. We're glad, said Virginia teasingly, that something's safe in your hands. We haven't forgotten the time you lost your pocketbook with all our return tickets in it. Or, laughed Mabel, the day you invited us all to your house to tea and forgot to tell your mother we were coming. Never mind, championed Alma. She didn't forget her bread and butter this morning, and that's the main thing. What a lovely procession we make, laughed Rhea, with all our bundles and baskets. If you'd just clatter those pails a little harder, Virginia, the natives might take us for an Uncle Tom's cabin troop with a brass band. I'm little Eva, said Tecla. I'm Topsy, laughed Rhea. I'm Miss Ophelia, declared Alma, because I'm right after her. I think I must be Eliza, said Cousin Emily, because this shawl of mine is almost as big as a baby, and because it's just like hopping from cake to cake of floating ice to attempt to walk on this sidewalk. I'm the bloodhounds, said Catherine, because I'm following all your trails. Twenty minutes later, Cousin Emily, the six girls, and all their bundles, baskets, and pails, were packed snugly into the little gasoline launch that Catherine had not forgotten to charter for the trip. And soon the tiny craft, under the guidance of its owner, a slim young Frenchman, was asthmatically chug-chugging its way round Lighthouse Point 
and out into Lake Superior, leaving in its wake a strong odor of gasoline. "'If I'd been the weatherman,' said Catherine happily, "'I couldn't have made a nicer day myself.' "'Yes,' agreed gay little Tecla. "'There isn't a cloud in the sky, and the water's like glass. "'See how green Partridge Island looks, just like a big emerald.' "'That's Middle Island Point, Goosey,' said Rhea. "'I told you so last week, and last month, and last year, "'and probably the year before that.' "'Her poor little bump of locality,' said Mabel, "'is all out of gear.' "'Never mind,' said Alma. "'I'm here to keep her straight. "'Just think, a whole day without music lessons or practicing.' "'Yes,' laughed Catherine. "'We've shed our scales, and we're going to be wild Indians "'for a whole delightful day.' My, exclaimed Mabel, we're a long way from shore, and how fast we've gone. We've passed the camps on Middle Island Beach. See the one perched up on the rocks? And we're coming to Partridge. I, I hope it's safe, said Cousin Emily nervously. I never was very fond of the water, and, and there seems to be a great deal of it. It's perfectly safe, assured the launchman kindly, as long as the boat is properly trimmed. Tecla looked about inquiringly. "'I don't see any trimmings,' said she. "'They're part of the decorations,' laughed Rhea, "'and so are the rest of us.' "'See that dip in the hills?' asked Catherine presently. "'Well, that's where we're going. "'In a few minutes you'll see a rocky point. "'This shore is all a series of scallops, you know. "'Then a long stretch of beach, "'then another rocky point, "'then a pebbly cove, "'then Denham's Landing.' When we reach it, everybody must take the parcel she started with and carry it up to the house. Tecla, if you forgot that lunch basket. Catch me doing it, laughed Tecla. I'm hungry enough to eat one of Virginia's pies this very minute. 2. The launchman left the little party at the huge flat stone that served for a landing, started his little brass engine and headed his boat, now lighter by several hundred pounds, toward Gardenville. Cousin Emily gazed apprehensively after the departing craft. "'What if he shouldn't come back?' she asked. "'He will,' returned Catherine reassuringly. "'I'm more afraid of his getting back too soon. "'Now gather up your bundles, girls, and everybody follow me.' The camp was a quarter of a mile inland. Tall Catherine, with her precious bundle of lamp chimneys for the cabin lamps, led the way up the steep trail." Alma and Tecla, with the big, heavy lunch basket between them, brought up the rear. They proceeded slowly, for never was pathside so diverting. There were great luscious thimbleberries, just ready to fall, scarlet raspberries right in their prime, and huckleberries in all stages of ripeness. "'Don't stop,' called Catherine over her shoulder. "'We've all day to pick berries in.' I shan't be able to breathe freely until these lamp chimneys are safe on the cabin table. Ned dropped the last lot right on the doorstep after bringing them all the way from town and smashed every single one. But we don't need lamp chimneys, said Mabel, when we're going home at seven. They're for the boys when they go deer shooting next fall, explained Catherine. We try to keep the camp supplies with such things all the time. Remember, you infants back there, no berries until you've disposed of your burdens. Bundles first, berries afterwards, sang Rhea, toiling upward with her pail of ice. The berries, however, proved too alluring to be left. First Alma made for a clump of thimble berries while Tecla carried the basket. Then Tecla spied the biggest and bluest of huckleberries, 
and unceremoniously left all the basket to Alma. Then, when Tecla returned to take up the burden, Alma would see perfectly enormous raspberries. This program was repeated a great many times. Tecla was the last to reach the camp. The other girls had deposited their burdens in an unconventional heap on the cabin table. Led by Catherine and armed with pails and cups, they were pushing through the long grass toward a famous berry patch. Cousin Emily, Tecla could see, was pushing forward as eagerly as any of the girls, and Alma, still some distance behind, was making strenuous efforts to overtake the others. Seizing an empty pail, Tecla rushed after them. Catherine proved a wise guide. There were no thimbleberries, indeed, because that tart fruit appeared to flourish best among the rocks, but the wonderful spot to which she led them seemed fairly ablaze with the largest, reddest, juiciest raspberries that ever ripened under a northern Michigan sky. The eager girls fell to picking them as if their next meal depended on the celerity with which they filled their pails. Well, said Catherine some hours later, my pail's full, although I've eaten quarts, pints anyway, of these perfectly beautiful berries. I'm simply starved for something substantial. Let's go back. I'll make the coffee. The rest of you can set the table. Come, Cousin Emily, it's dinner time. You can come back afterwards. Girls, oh girls, last call to dinner in the dining car. Um, approved Rhea hungrily as she promptly fell into line. Fried chicken, potato salad, chocolate cake. Buttered rolls and olives, added Alma joyously. And apple pie, shouted Virginia, starting on a run toward the camp. And cheese, cried Tecla, scurrying after. And coffee, squealed Mabel. I'm rather hungry myself, admitted Cousin Emily, pattering after the lively crew. I think I could eat a dozen lettuce sandwiches. Leave your pails on the porch, called Catherine from the doorway a few moments later. Somebody move these things off the table. No, don't touch the chimneys. Do you think I'm going to risk? Why, Tecla, Alma, where's the big basket? Basket, chorused the girls. Tecla, are you sure you took it out of the launch? Of course we did, declared Tecla indignantly. My arms ache yet from carrying it up that path. Mine, too, asserted Alma, rubbing her elbow. Why, here it is under the table, cried Virginia, dragging something to light. But, girls, it's empty, absolutely empty. Are you sure it's the same basket? asked cautious cousin Emily. Certain sure, said Tecla. I'd know that basket anywhere. Yes, said Alma positively. I know it by the mark on the side. I read it over again and again when I was carrying it up the hill. See, it says Crossman's A, number one melons. I'd know it with my eyes shut, said Catherine, for I packed and repacked it seven times before I could get all our things in this morning. Besides, I had too hard a time finding one that was big enough to hold the stuff not to recognize it now. But goodness, where's our lovely luncheon? Our fried chicken, our salad, our coffee, our cream, chorused Rhea and Mabel, our olives and chocolate cake, our apple pie, breathed Alma. Oh, don't, implored Virginia. Do have a little mercy. But who or what could have robbed us? Almost anything, replied Catherine, almost crossly. Alma, you left the cabin door open. You were the last. No, she wasn't, interrupted Tecla. I was. 
I never thought of anything but catching up to the rest of you. But was it rats, cats, squirrels, or porcupines? Or, suggested Rhea, the three bears paying us back for what Goldilocks did to their house. Or folks, queried Cousin Emily. Folks, I'm afraid, returned Catherine soberly. Nobody else could have carried off the dishes. Yet nobody comes here but ourselves. The logging road hasn't been used in years. It's all swampy. And if anybody had come in a boat, we would have seen the boat. Have you looked under all the furniture? asked Cousin Emily nervously. Have you locked the door? Have you been up in the loft? I'll go, said Virginia, scrambling up the ladder. I'll protect you, said Alma, scrambling after. Nobody here, cried both, climbing down a moment later. Well, said Catherine, who looked worried, we'll have to get some sort of a meal from what there is in the cupboard, but there isn't much. The boys haven't been here for weeks. Here's flour, but it smells musty. Salt, matches, candles, liquid glue, flypaper, cinnamon. Fried chicken, mocked Rhea mischievously. Salad, cake. Will you be quiet, moaned Mabel. I've got the awfulest cast-away-on-a-desert-island feeling inside of me that ever was. You're too aggravating for words. You mean irritating, corrected Virginia. No, I don't, returned Mabel. Perhaps she irritates me, but she certainly aggravates my hunger. What are you doing, Catherine? Catherine, flat on the floor, was tugging at an iron ring. Something gave way suddenly, and up flew a small trap-door, bringing with it a cloud of dust. The girl reached down and groped in the darkness. The others waited breathlessly. One, two, three, four, she counted, bringing several small, grimy objects to light. Potatoes, girls. One's an onion, announced Virginia. And I think this one's either a turnip or a beet. But never mind, they're all vegetables. That's all, said disappointed Catherine, dropping the door. Usually that place is full of potatoes. Now, Virginia, you start a fire while I stir up some baking powder biscuits. I'll have to use soda and water, because there isn't any milk or baking powder, or lard. Mercy, how can I shorten them? Don't ask me, returned Cousin Emily helplessly. You know I can't cook. Use kerosene or shaved candles, suggested irrepressible Rhea. You want to make light biscuits, you know. An hour later, the hungry girls sat down to quite the worst meal they had ever attempted to eat. The heavy biscuits, highly flavored and streaked brown with soda, were eked out by an uninviting dish of what Catherine had dubbed vegetable hash. For something she had mistaken for tea leaves, she had brewed a pale green, oddly flavored beverage. Later investigation proved the label on the can to be summer savory and somewhat relieved Cousin Emily's mind. No one, at least, was poisoned by the strange concoction. There were berries in abundance and plenty of good spring water, but as the girls in the excitement of departure that morning had eaten little breakfast and were really hungry, berries and water did not prove an entirely satisfying diet. "'Have some fried chicken,' said still unsubdued Rhea, offering a soggy biscuit to her favorite victim. "'Try a little of this delicious salad, or some of this delectable coffee.' Do have a piece of this delightful pie. Hungry Mabel, exasperated beyond endurance, chased her tormentor round the table and out of doors. It was certainly not the sort of dinner that they had planned, but the day was far too lovely to be spoiled by a few pains of hunger. 
the girls made a thorough search of the adjacent woods for the despoiler of their basket but no trace of him could they find indeed the ripe berries hanging like crimson jewels on all the bushes and ready to drop at the lightest touch were conclusive proof that nothing human had passed that way when the dishes were washed and returned to their cupboard the singular six in a fairly comfortable state of mind again fell to picking berries later in the afternoon when every receptacle the cabin afforded was filled to the brim with crimson fruit Catherine led the girls by an unsuspected shortcut to an entrancing bit of sand beach where without urging from their resourceful hostess the delighted guests promptly peeled off shoes and stockings and went in waiting at seven o'clock a familiar chug-chugging warned them that the launch was approaching they gathered up their hats trimmed with whatever varieties of vegetation had happened to strike their fancies seized their berry pails and started for the landing when Catherine was halfway down the steep path she suddenly stopped short cried girls in an indescribable tone and then stood aside for them to see the object that had startled her there directly in the path stood the lunch basket just as it had been packed in the morning and with all its toothsome contents untouched i-i thought you had it last gasped untrustworthy tecla looking at alma and flushing guiltily i remember now though that i put it right here by this stone when i stripped that thimbleberry patch and of course said alma i supposed that you had it but that other basket must have been left here by the boys earlier in the season i wonder i didn't think of that sooner those awful biscuits but never mind we'll eat our luncheon in the boat and they did tecla with as good an appetite and as clear a conscience as anybody end of chapter eight